Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, you are the God that reigns forevermore. This was guaranteed by the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord, I pray that that, that wouldn't be delayed in people's actions today. Lord, I pray that everyone here, both listening online and those in this space, would bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that we would recognize that you are such a great king, that you are gathering us. And we just, I pray that you would just speak powerfully through your word today, that it would be about Christ that he would receive all the glory. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and we ask that he would empower us right now to be attentive to your word and then to take action from it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen and amen. This past summer, our family happened to be um, down in Halifax when the World Canoe Championships were occurring. Did you know that the World Canoe Championships happened in in Canada this past summer? Yeah, they, the canoe and kayak world championships were happening, and these were actually um, qualifiers for the Olympics. And um, I remember it was amazing just to step into an elevator, and you see these world-class athletes, and they're just, they're just jacked. They're just like, upper bodies are huge. And I got to talk to a few of them, and um, they are really excited about the competition, but you know what they are most excited about? The camaraderie. Being able to be with fellow canoeists and kayakers. You see, it's very lonely training every day. You're in the gym and you're lifting weights and you're, you're doing this by yourself often and, and you're staying focused on your goals of winning. In fact, Lots of athletes decide to move from their country to another country just so that they can train with their fellow actual competitors and to hold one another accountable. Many of these athletes will postpone marriage and family. I I met one woman, and we were about the same age, and her kids were, her kids were like three or four, and I'm like, I said, I, I'm about to have grandkids. I mean, like, wow. And the sacrifice that these people make and their upper bodies were so strong. But here's the thing that really blew me away was many of these competitors were paraplegic. They're missing legs. They were using, using prosthesis. Their upper bodies were so strong, but many of them had a glaring weakness. That did not stop them, however. They became faster than you and I could ever be on land. And they were were faster on the water than we could ever be. They found hope and it paid off as they gathered with their fellow overcomers. The gathering of the lame reminds us of a future day when God will assemble all of his lame in the world. What are you talking about? God's gathering the lame? Well, I want to tell you, it won't be a gathering of a global canoe competition. There'll be actually a victory celebration. A victory celebration that you are invited to today. 
It's a victory celebration where the Lord God will reign and we will rejoice in him. And this is what we discover from just two verses today. If you have your Bibles, please do turn to Micah chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And we're going to see what God is going to do someday. We're continuing our series in Micah. To give you some background, in first week in Micah, back in September, we, we uh, tackled both Micah chapter 1 and Micah chapter 7 in kind of an overview when we learned that we must wait for God to make things right. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for God to make things right in your life? The second week we focused um, in a more specific way in chapter 1, verses 8 through 16, and we learned that we needed to lament our losses, but also lament the loss, those who are far from God. The third week we were warned about wealthy oppressors in Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Then in the fourth week, we learned about how God's words do us good if we're, we're walking uprightly. That there's a blessing if you will just follow God. Then in the fifth week, we learned from Micah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, that God promises to gather his people. They'll break through barriers. He'll lead his people. And then on Thanksgiving weekend, we learned from Micah 3 that we can be thankful that for something really odd, and that is we can be thankful that God's going to deal with bad leaders. And then last week, Pastor Jason did a marvelous job. Didn't he do such a great job? Loved that message, explaining the bigger picture of God's kingdom in the first part of Micah chapter 4. Here's a chart of that biblical um, timeline, if you missed it. And you can see, you know, God created the world, and Adam and Eve, and Noah, and Abraham, maybe some some characters that you're just starting to get acquainted with if you're new to the faith or you're still checking out the faith. Then there's Moses in Exodus, and then comes David, the premier king in ancient Israel. But David's son Solomon decided to chase after other gods, and because of that, the kingdom was divided. And then we get to um, Israel and Israel and all their kings, the northern ten tribes, they, they disobeyed God. They didn't follow God. And because of that, they were exiled into to, um, to slavery for their idolatry, which idolatry is really spiritual adultery. It's cheating on God. And the exile of the ten northern tribes would have led to effectively two remaining tribes, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, taking pause, saying, whoa, where, where are we heading? Sure, the temptation is to think that one is better than your brothers. That's maybe what they could easily fall into. But God allowing the ten northern tribes in 722 to be exiled and be captured would have cast a long shadow on Judah and Benjamin, especially since Assyria was knocking, knocking on the front door of Jerusalem with their siege. And here's a picture of that siege you imagine, can you imagine being in Jerusalem at that time? And yet, God gave the people hope. Miraculously, God took care of the Assyrian army of 180,000 soldiers that were killed in one night by God's angel. In fact, 
In 2 Kings chapter 19, in Isaiah 37, and 2 Chronicles 32, all describe this miraculous rescue. Many of us are more familiar with the, the crossing of the Red Sea and, and God rescuing his people from Egypt. But this is another one of the high points of God helping his people in a time of desperation. For the interest of time, let's look at Micah's contemporary and fellow prophet Isaiah as he describes the scene. Look what it says in Isaiah 37, 36 through 38. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his god, Ajamalak and Sherazar, his son, struck him down with the sword. Whoa, your own sons take you out? This very evil society. Then it says, after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. I love how God can fix our problems while we sleep. Have you ever thought about that? God can fix your problems while we sleep. When you, you can do nothing more. You've tried to fix your problems, and finally you say, okay, God, I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to trust you. God can work. He's always working, and he can do something powerful in the night. He's ruling fire above us, and he's always working. In fact, Pastor Jason showed us last week how God has always ruled from the mountains of the Lord. Mountains are a thread in Scripture that highlight worship. And here's a chart that he gave us. And I would take a picture of this if you didn't get it last week. But this gives you kind of an overview. See, the Garden of Eden was like a mountain. And, and it was a high point. It was the high point in, in human history until Christ came. But throughout history, people tried to build their own mountains and tried to reign. And that happened at the city of Cain. And then God destroyed the world with the flood through Noah, and he landed on Mount Ararat, right? Ararat, isn't that the same place that Sennacherib's sons went? Oh, yeah, it's a place of refuge. See the, see the link? And then after Noah, there's the Tower of Babel, which God, like, I love that story. You have to check it out in Genesis where... He looks down, and they're trying to be like God, and he's like, oh, I think we should come down to them. It's, a, it's, it's very funny, actually. And then there's Mount Moriah, where um, Isaac in, in, um, was about to be sacrificed by, by Abraham, but then God provided a ram. And it would be a future foretelling of the fact that God was going to provide his own son as a sacrifice. Because on Mount Moriah... In Jerusalem is where Christ was ultimately killed. Then we have Egypt. We have Moses in Mount Sinai. We have David in Zion. And, and finally we get to that, that Mount Moriah and, and specifically the smaller hill of, of Golgotha. The place of the skull. And so that gives you just a, um, uh, an overview of, of this as we learn the context. And, and it reminds us that that in the times of, of refuge, we need to run and we need to cling to God and we need to go to the mountain of the Lord. And I believe some of you here today have enough religious memory and you're checking out um, this thing called Christianity and you know just 
some, but you're like Sennacherib's sons and you've gone to the place of refuge. You've come here, but you haven't fully committed your life to Christ. We want that to be today. We want you to know the living Christ and that Jesus is reigning. There's hope because a day is coming when God will assemble and rule his people. So let's, let's read from Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. That, and as we're reading this, I want you to pray and ask God, I want to be a part of the lot. I want to be a part of the group that you are gathering. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Here's what we read. And that day declares the Lord... I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. On the lame, I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. If I was going to summarize these two verses, it would go something like this. A day is coming when God will assemble and will rule his people. Let me say that again. A day is coming when God will assemble and rule his people. Stop right there. Some of you are thinking, well, isn't God already assembling his people? Isn't he already ruling his people? The answer is unequivocally yes. God is assembling his people in local churches. We would call the micro-expressions of his rule. In fact, when I look out today, you are a part of this fulfillment. You are part of this gathering. Isn't that amazing? You're gathered here today as a showcase of Christ's reign. Nobody forced you to come. Okay, maybe there's a few kids who were forced to come. Maybe some of you who are married, you feel like you're forced to come. But for the vast majority of us, out of our own volition, we came here today with all the other choices that we could have been doing, and we're here. And you are an example of Christ's reign. That's amazing. Where Christ and his word are the authority. On Self-Care Sunday, we came and have come to worship Christ. We recognize we belong to King Jesus and we want to follow him as his loyal subjects. Every time we love and love those on our hit list, you know those people who've hurt us? We're showing the reign of Christ. We're not being ruled by just our emotions. We're letting Christ reign in us. Every time we stand up for justice for those who cannot speak for themselves, like little kids, like the unborn, like those at the end of life. We are showing the reign of Christ. Every time we show compassion for those who are hurting and lost and suffering, we are showing the reign of Christ. King Jesus reigns, amen? amen. And so God is assembling his people already, but also not quite yet. The micro-assembling of local churches around the world will compel in comparison to that one day. That one day when God will gather all of his people and he will govern them. And it will be glorious. And I believe this gathering will happen when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, will come back again to the earth. Amen? 
There's some people here going, well, I didn't even know about Jesus coming the first time. What are you talking about? Well, that was actually one of the first fulfillments of Micah's prophecy. God's son came in the form of a baby, was born in Bethlehem, in a lowly stable. He grew up on the run as a refugee, but he lived a sinless and perfect life. He died on a cross and he rose again from the grave. Now, a lot of you understand what I just said. But here's something I've just been discovering. Last week, I shared the gospel four times with people. And as I did it, I noticed some people are like, okay, that makes sense. And brothers are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Wah, 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 wah. Like, God has a son named Jesus? And he lived a perfect life? And he died on a cross and he rose again? And so this is why Pastor Jason last week, and this is why as we move forward, and, and John Taylor talked about good soil evangelism, and, and we're talking about this Discover class, Discover Jesus class, we need to help honor people understand all the background story. And so when I say things like, Jesus rose from the grave, many of you are like, yes! And others of you are like, I have no idea what he's just saying. But I want to tell you today, and stick with me, that God loves you. He created you. He made you. You come from him. And he wants to gather you. Jesus, when he came the first time, he gathered his people. But that was the only first wave of his gathering. Are you thankful? Sometimes I'm not thankful, but I was reminded this week as I was studying this passage, I'm really thankful that Jesus delayed coming a second time. You know why? Because if Micah 4, 6, and 7 was immediately fulfilled, if there was not an already but not yet fulfillment, you and I, who were born thousands of years later, would not be part of this gathering. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Aren't you glad for the patience of God? His long-suffering? Heaven's doors would have been closed, and Jesus would literally be reigning in the new heaven and new earth. But God's patience is great. Maybe it would be helpful to add the words, a day is coming when God will assemble and rule all his people from all time. And so are you looking forward to that day? One of the reasons why we gather together, why we assemble together, as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, is to encourage one another as we see the day, what? Coming, coming approaching. Because you're, you're at work and you're at school and, and, and life's hard. And, and man, when you gather together, this is why one of the reasons why we gather together is so that you can be encouraged. And remember, oh yeah, Jesus is coming back. He's going to reign. It gives you hope. It gives you hope. So be looking forward to that day. How do you know whether you'll be gathered, though, and governed by God? Well, let's, let's dive deeper into this. Who are God's people? Let's just answer, try to answer this question. Is it just ethnic Israel? Is it those who go to church? Uh, it must be those who go to Heritage College and Seminary, who teach there and who are taught there. That's not what the text says. Though 
each of those groups may have part of, be part of that gathering, but none of those are guarantees. You might be actually surprised by the answer from this text. Here's the thing that we, we learn. God's people are those he has made, wait for it, lame. Lame? What are we talking about the word lame? Now, the word lame there is used rarely in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not talking about lame in the sense of like uninspired and dull, like, God, you're so lame, like, right? We're not talking about that. We're not just talking actually about cripples. We're talking about somebody who recognizes they have an impairment mentally, physically, emotionally, and most of all, and most importantly, spiritually. We're talking about those who walk with a limp. Do you walk with a limp? To use the language of our mission statement, our mission statement is we are on mission with Jesus to turn broken people into whole people who multiply Christ's followers. We're talking about the broken. Those are the lame. Broken people know they have a need that only God can fulfill. And to understand the emphasis on being lame or broken, we need to understand who Israel was. It goes back to their founder. He's repeatedly mentioned in Micah. This, like, look, follow through with me here. Look at back in Micah chapter 1. We see his name, verse 5. All this is for the transgression of who? Micah 1, verse 5. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. In fact, it's mentioned twice there in verse 5. It's actually mentioned again, this transgression of Jacob in chapter 3, verse 8. And then Jacob's mentioned in chapter 2, verse 7, in verse 12. He's also associated with the bad leaders. Look at what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob. And it's repeated again in verse 9. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. See, Jacob means deceiver. But this deceiver also cared enough about God and his promises that he pursued them when his brother Esau profaned them, didn't care about them. God then associates himself with Jacob, which is, is amazing if you think about it. God is associating himself with a deceiver. And this is why when we get to Micah chapter 4, verse 2, the pastor Jason unpacked last week, it says, Come, look at it says in Micah 4, 2, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. What an amazing God that he would associate with himself and all who are like him who sin, who transgress, but then turn to God. See, Jacob was a man on the run. But he had time to wrestle with God. We read about this in Genesis 32. Let's pick up the account in Genesis 32, verses 24 through 28. Jacob was left alone. He sent off his family. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. 
And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with me and have prevailed. Verse 31 goes on to say that Jacob walked at the break of day, but he wasn't walking perfectly. In fact, he was walking with a limp. Notice that God in that passage, he asked Jacob his name. Did God not know his name? What's he doing there? God, of course, knew who Jacob was. He knew his name. But it's, sometimes it's, easy, it's hard for us to capture this in the English, but in the Hebrew, he's actually saying, what's your name? Deceiver. Deceiver. He was admitting his transgression. This is all true for all of us today who are the true house of Jacob. We have to admit our sins and that we have transgressed, that we've trespassed against God. And when we do, we find blessing. We may wrestle with God, maybe not physically, but we're wrestling with God to the point of surrender. Yesterday, I was at um, one of our training for um, this new effort that we're trying, I think could really change the community in our whole country, actually. It's all about, you know, teaching this next generation of community sports, of the gospel, and it's not just a physical skills you need to develop, but also the mental side, and most of all, the spiritual. And one of the things that the trainer, Chris Sims, told us, he's actually the pastor at Guelph Bible Chapel, there's a, a, a longitudinal study by the Sports Institute, and this is what he said, the longer you are in competitive sports, the lower your morals. Why would that be? Because you, the longer you go in life, you start to think, I can't make it. I need to cheat. I'm way too focused. This is my identity. See, age is no guarantee of greater morals. If your identity is found, isn't found in Christ, but something else, you are more likely to cheat. You're more likely to, to commit moral failure. And those who do will walk with a limp and be in denial. But those who walk with a limp and know it and say, I need God. I am like Jacob. I want to be a part of the house of Jacob and acknowledge their sins before God. That's when the king, he gathers them. So do you admit you walk with a limp? Are you okay with saying that Jesus is carrying you? He is like your crutch. When people tell me that Jesus is my crutch, I say, thank you. Thank you for seeing that I have a lot of need and I... I can't figure it out all on my own. I need Jesus badly. I'm relying on his power. And so to reiterate this point, it's kind of a theme throughout Scripture. Remember, just to fast forward to the New Testament, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, when Jesus talks about taking his yoke upon you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light, he's essentially saying, you are unequally yoked. You will walk with a limp, and I will do the heavy lifting. You would never make it without me, so walk beside me and do the little that I led to you and empower you to do. So who are God's people? They are lame, those who walk with a limp. But not only those who are lame, but those who are rejected. Let me be clear. Certainly God cares about you, and if you've been rejected by especially people close to you, 
I believe God wants to come and minister into your heart today. But that's not what this passage is talking about. Read it more carefully. Look at verse 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. We're actually talking about those that God has driven away. He's cast off, exiled, and short rejected. And some of you immediately many don't like that thought. I didn't like it when I read it at first. I'm like, what? God say that he's afflicted? That's hard to hear, isn't it? But let's remember that God rejects people because they first rejected him. We know that we love God because he first loved us. But it's also true that God rejects those who first rejected him. On the eternal scale, this is why God created hell, to have a place for people who want nothing to do with him. It's a place of rejection and separation because humans have rejected God. He made them. He loved them. He surrounded them with all that was good in the Garden of Eden that we talked about at the beginning. Remember that mountain? And God said there was only one rule, and yet we human beings disobeyed it. We rejected his reign over a bite of fruit. So it begs the question, have you or I rejected God? Remember, people had rejected God by committing idolatry, spiritual adultery. And so God chases off even those who are chasing after other gods. He puts people, his people, into exile because he loves them and is jealous for their affections. He wants them to experience a little bit what it's like to live in a situation that's without God. To see what it's like for those who are full idolaters and the outcomes of their wickedness, what it produces. I mean, on a small scale, you've experienced this if your parents or lived in a family. It's happened in our home. It's times where there's times where there might be fighting at our dinner table, and I have to send one of our kids away and say, until you can stop hurting yourself and hurting others, you're going to need to go think about that. Would you please leave the table? I hate doing that. God hates doing that. But that, that disfellowship for a season is important. That isolation is important. Listen up, all you young parents who are struggling with family harmony at the dinner table. Help your kids know that you love them. Help them to know that ultimately their, their identity as your child, and more importantly, the opportunity to be identified as God's child is not at risk. Remind them that their standing with you will never change, but their state might. They might be disfellowshipped for a season if they're rebellious. But they, God's calling them always to repent and to reconcile. And so disciplining your children will pay off in the long run. And when God disciplines us, it will always pay off. We know because God does this with us. And this is what is meant when it looks in verse, chapter 4, verse 6. In describing those who've been driven away by God. The great part is those that have been driven away, who've been taken captive, who've been exiled, God promises to gather back his people, assemble them and rule his people, those he made lame and rejected. But God's people aren't just the lame and rejected. They're also the afflicted. Look again at verse 6, those whom I've afflicted. God loves us enough to discipline us. 
Sometimes it hurts us, but never it harms us ultimately. Our intern, Seth Vincent, as we talked about this as pastors, this passage this week, he said, you know, it's like with metal, right? You, when you're working with metal, you heat it up and you bang on it and you, quote unquote, you hurt the metal in order to create something better. Permit me to explain further by using what Bible scholar Russell Meek states. Notice how God shows his love by taking responsibility for the suffering his people experienced. The pain God's people experienced came from his own hand. Can you imagine that? God's own hand. It happened under his watchful care, and God himself disciplined them. He was in control of the entire time. They did not suffer in the hand of an unpredictable tyrant, not even Sennacherib. Nor did anything happen to them that God did not ordain. That reality may be difficult to process, but it also comforts God's people to know that our Heavenly Father, this is what he says, disciplines out of love. Your Father loves you, even if you're in a state of discipline right now. God's discipline is always just and is always intended to direct us back to a right relationship with him so we might have fellowship with him. And how do we know all this? Say, John, how do you know? Well, not only because Jesus came up to set up his kingdom and he literally gathered the lame, didn't he? He gathered the lame. When he was walking on this earth, he gathered the lame. We find this in Matthew chapter 11 and then check out what it says in Matthew 21, 14. It says that the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But God did more than that. He actually made Jesus experience some of the same trouble we had. Jesus was beaten so badly that he couldn't carry his cross. He became lame. The nails were driven into his feet. God rejected his son when Jesus became sin for us. And God afflicted his own son, Jesus, for our punishment. But the good news is the day is coming when God will assemble and rule his people. They will no longer be lame and cast off, but become a strong nation. We won't just be overcomers and gather for a canoe competition like the athletes in Halifax this summer. We will gather instead at Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, and his son Jesus will rule over us. So, if you're struggling, if you're lame and you're walking with a limp and you're like, I just need Jesus, you're welcome here. You're part of the lot that Jesus is gathering. Maybe you feel like you've been driven away and it's because you've even too, too much about the rules, your legalism, or too much about your licentiousness and you've seen all the moral trappings, immoral trappings. God is welcoming you back. Are you afflicted because God loves you enough to discipline you? Here's the action point. A day is coming when God will assemble and rule his people. Is he gathering and governing you today? Let's pray. God, I pray that each one here, and a hard passage to understand from Micah, would, would feel hopeful again that you're assembling us, even if we're walking with a limp, even if we've 
experienced some separation from you, even if we felt afflicted and suffered. God, it's a call back again to yourself. Lord, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his amazing grace. And we just pray in his mighty name, an amazing name. And God's people said, amen, amen.